Well, welcome to week three of our series, Legendary. And uh, we're taking the entire summer to look at some legendary stories of the Old Testament. Uh, Stories about how God used just ordinary, uh, common people to do extraordinary, uncommon things. And, uh, and I believe that as we look at these particular stories and the context of their lives and how God used them, I believe that what God wants to do is teach us how we can live legendary lives of our own. I really believe that's what God wants for us, okay? And so uh, today, we're gonna look at a, a really cool story that centers around the significance of friendship. But before we jump into that, I want you to do something. Um, Pastor Justin encouraged us to grab a pen and a paper. And so if you did that, I want you to pull those out. And uh, we're going to do a little exercise here. I want you to take and I want you to make a list. I want you to think of your five closest friends. Who are your five closest friends? And then make a list of who your five closest friends are. And I'm only going to give you like 10 seconds to do this because you ought to know who they are. Okay, so who are your five closest friends? And, and by the way, you know, not your spouse, not your kids, not your dog or your cat, um, and no imaginary friends, okay? Who are your five closest friends? All right? I'll give you just a second or two to do that, to think about it, to write it down if you got a pen or paper. And then uh, I want you to hold on to that list. We're going to come back to it here in just a moment. But uh, the Bible has a lot to say about friendship and how the friends that we choose, they impact our lives. In fact, there's a great verse found in Proverbs chapter 13, uh, 20, that speaks to this. And it's written by a guy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon is considered to be the wisest man who ever lives. And this is what he writes. He says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I love that verse. And uh, I don't want you to miss what it's saying here. In fact, uh, this is what I want you to walk away with today. Solomon is saying this. He's saying, if you show me your friends, I will show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. This is what Solomon is saying. In other words, um, those who you choose to walk with in life are more than likely who you will eventually become. This is how formative our friendships are on us. The the truth is that we follow our friends. In fact, um, I would say this. If if you read your Bible or if you prayed over the past two or three days, chances are that at least a couple of people on your list also prayed and read their Bibles as well. And, and on the other hand, you know, if you went out and, and you got drunk this past week or you smoked weed or you watched porn or whatever, chances are that two or three of your friends did the same thing. That's the power of friendship on our lives. Our friends either pull us up or they pull us down. We're, we're just created this way. And so I, I, wanna, I want you to take out your list and I want you to look at that list and I want you to think about it. If you wrote it out, just take a moment to look at it, because if Solomon is right, and he is, then odds are very high, the odds are very high, that you will become the average of the five people that are on your list. 
In fact, do this, you know, take out number one. They're the most awesome person, and then number five's the dud on the list. Those middle three, you will become the average of those three. So the question is, how does that sit with you? I mean, how, do, how does that feel? Is that, is that what you want? Is that what you aspire to? The truth is, you will become the sum of the five people that you are closest to. So, if, if friendship is such an influential thing on our lives, we probably ought to know how do we build good and godly friendships. And fortunately, the Bible has much to say about this. In fact, uh, I want us to look this morning at probably the greatest story of friendship in all of the Bible. It's found in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And uh, this is a friendship that is between two guys, David and Jonathan. And it's, a, it's actually a pretty long story. It takes up most of the entire second half of 1 Samuel, and so we're not going to read the whole thing. But I want to give you some highlights and then just focus on a few principles of friendship that are found in this story. Um, last week, Pastor Justin shared the story of how David killed Goliath, which is such a cool story. But he shared how when that happened, a guy by the name of Saul was the king over Israel. David is just a boy. And, and Saul, he's this, you know, he's a six foot five, strong, handsome leader. And the reality is that Saul should have been the one out facing Goliath. I mean, he was the king, he was the leader. And so he should have been the one facing Goliath, but the truth is he was scared. And so, as we learned last week, little, you know, I don't know what he was, five foot five, 150 pounds or something like that, little ordinary David is the one who has enough faith to go out and face Goliath, and we know that God helps David, and he helps him do something that is extraordinary. Ordinary David does something extraordinary when God is involved. And so, David kills Goliath, and immediately after that, David is brought before Saul, and, and Saul, he has this son by the name of Jonathan who is also at, uh, present at this time. And so this is the first thing that is recorded after David kills Goliath. It's found in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, and it says this. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Okay, so I want to pause right here for a moment because the language that is used here is probably a little weird for some of us, especially for us guys. I, I mean, you know, the first time that Pastor Justin met me, I doubt that he ran home and wrote in his diary, wow, I just met the most awesome guy in the world and my soul was knit to his soul and I loved him as my own soul. Uh, I, I doubt that's what he wrote in his diary. I'm pretty sure he has a diary, but I doubt that's what he wrote. Uh, the, the point is this. Even though the language here is not the typical language that most guys use when they're talking about other guys, at least in our culture, the point is that David and Jonathan immediately had this connection this admiration for each other. Jonathan greatly admired David. 
And, and when I think about this, I, I think it, it reminds me of a friend that I have in Kansas City. His name is Brian. In fact, Brian and Stephanie were here last year, I believe it was, for our marriage enrichment weekend. But uh, the, the first time I met Brian was in this meeting. I had this meeting and Brian was there and I'd come home from the meeting and Laura asked me, you know, how, how did it go? And I said, you know, it was great. But I met this dude, Brian, and, and I think I could be friends with this guy. This is what's happening here. This is what's going on. Jonathan has this admiration for David and he's like, I think I could be friends with this dude. There's an instant connection, an immediate friendship. And so the story continues uh, in, in verse two. It says, and Saul took David that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And so Saul takes David into his own household. And then in verse three, it says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and also his armor and, and his sword and his bow and his belt. Now I don't want you to miss this because this is pretty awesome here. Remember, Jonathan is a prince and so he is upper class. I mean, he is high as you can get. David is a shepherd, he's low class. About, shepherds were about as low class as you can get. But the prince, Jonathan, gives away his robe and all of his gear, all of the things that signify that he is set above David and identify him as the prince. And, and so on day one, Jonathan binds himself to David in a way that says, David, we're not just on equal ground. I am setting you above me. I am giving you preference. And actually what Jonathan is doing here is he is preparing to submit to David as king later on. And we'll get there here in just a little bit. But the story goes on. God's hand is on David. And we're told that everything that David does, he prospers in. I mean, Saul sets him in charge of all of his armies and David goes out and he fights the Philistines and every battle that he faces, he wins. And so all of the people begin to love and admire David to the point that Saul actually begins to get jealous. He, he, he sees how the people love David to the point that they're even writing these songs about David. Songs like, you know, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David has struck down 10,000. Now I know to us that doesn't sound like much of a song, but man, this was like number one on the charts in David's day, and the people were singing this, and it's making Saul jealous. So jealous, in fact, that he starts to try to kill David, every opportunity that he has. This is all Saul can think about is, how can I get rid of David? And what winds up saving David is his relationship with Jonathan. They have become such close friends that Jonathan begins sneaking intel to David behind his dad's back. In fact, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, the entire chapter talks about this elaborate bow and arrow scheme that Jonathan devises in order to let David know if he's safe from the hand of Saul or not. And what, what happens is, is Jonathan tells David to go out and hide by this rock, 
And uh, David says, you know what, I'm gonna, or Jonathan says, you know what, I'm gonna pretend to do some target practice with my bow, and then depending on what I yell to my arrow fetcher, which is a real job, can you imagine that? You know, somebody asks you, what do you do for a living? Well, I am an arrow fetcher. Well, what's that? Well, somebody shoots the arrow, and I run out and fetch it. That's what I do. But, but that, that's what, you know, that was a real job back then. But anyway, the plan is that if, if Jonathan yells to his arrow fetcher, the arrow is on this side of you, then David, that means the conversation that I had with my dad went well, and you're safe. But if I yell, the arrow is beyond you, then that, David, is your cue to run because Saul still wants to kill you. And and so it's kind of a weird plan, but the point is that Jonathan values his friendship with David so much that he is willing to risk even what would be considered treason in order to rescue his friend. And so uh, the story goes, and the conversation doesn't go very well, and Saul wants to kill David, and so Jonathan, he shoots the arrow, and the arrow fetcher runs out, and Jonathan yells out, he says, hey, the arrow is beyond you. And so David takes off. He's hiding out in the wilderness, trying not to get killed, and and this is where I want to pick things up again in 1 Samuel 23, verse 15. It says that, that David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. Okay, so at this point, David and Jonathan are about 30 miles apart from each other. And Jonathan gets up in the middle of the night and he goes to David. Most likely, most scholars believe that in order to avoid suspicion that Jonathan travels these 30 miles on foot. Okay, so I want you to look back at your list again. Um, How many of your friends on that list would get up in the middle of the night and walk 30 miles because you needed them? I mean, imagine getting that text in the middle of the night. Hey, dude, I'm 30 miles away, and I need you, but I need you to walk to me. How many would give you that big yellow thumbs up to that text? Now, I want you to watch what happens here with Jonathan. In verse 17, Jonathan, he he travels these 30 miles on foot, and it says, and he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. That that statement, I shall be next to you, what a statement this is. You see, what Jonathan is saying here is he's saying, David, I affirm the fact that that when my dad dies, that God has anointed you to be the next king of Israel. He says, you know, I I know what my position is. I am the prince, and I know that that when most kings die, the prince gets to be king, but I understand that God has anointed you. We all know this. Even my father knows this. And I want you to know, David, that I not only affirm you, but I am with you, and I am for you. Do you see this incredible selflessness that Jonathan displays on behalf of his friend David? It's so incredible. And then in verse 18, it says that the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. And so Jonathan 
reaffirms this covenant with David that he had made on the day that they had met. Their souls were knit together. And so this covenant of friendship is reaffirmed. And we don't know exactly what the substance of this covenant was. We simply know that they had verbalized their commitment to one another and they were deeply committed to one another to the end. Now listen, I I tell you this story because I believe that the story of David and Jonathan is a model for the type of friendships that God wants each of us to have. And there are a number of principles about friendship that God wants to teach us through these two, and and really throughout all of Scripture. But I just want to give you five, okay? The first one is this, is that Jonathan types of friends, so Jonathans, are loyal. Loyalty is the measure of true friendship. I love the fact that Jonathan never wavered in his commitment to David. And so I want to ask you this morning, is that the kind of friends that you have? Is that the kind of friend that you are? If you, if you know your Bible, then you know that Jonathan or David wound up having a son named Solomon. That's the first verse that we started with. He wrote the, the, the book of Proverbs. And Solomon, again, he's considered to be the wisest person who ever lived. And I, I would bet that as Solomon is growing up in the palace, that David tells Solomon stories about his friend Jonathan. I can just imagine him saying, son, man, my my best friend, Jonathan, I remember the time when I needed him in the middle of the night and he got up and he walked 30 miles just to come and strengthen me and be with me. And and I, I imagine him saying, son, when you look for a friend, look for people like that. Surround yourself with people like that. David taught Solomon the importance of true friendship. And as a result, in Proverbs, the book that Solomon wrote, he wrote a lot about the importance of having good friends. For instance, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, Solomon writes this. He says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In other words, companions, you know, they're they're good for you in good times, But companions uh, will abandon you in rough times. But a friend never leaves you, never betrays you, never. In in chapter 27, verse 10, he writes this. He says, do not forsake your friend and your father's friends. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. For better is a friend who is near than a brother who is far away. In other words, Solomon is reinforcing what his dad said about Jonathan, that real friendship can bring things into your life that even family cannot bring. That that loyalty becomes a powerful force for good in your life. So principle number one, Jonathans are loyal. Principle number two, Jonathans show up. So, So Jonathan hears about David holed up in this tough spot. And, and what does he do? He, he makes a plan. He goes. He doesn't just send David a message to see if he's okay. He just goes to him. He is present. For Laura and I, you know, a couple of our best friends uh, in the world are Glenn and Cindy Sherman. In fact, they're probably watching this morning, so hi, Glenn and Cindy. Uh, but, but what sealed our friendship with them was a number of years ago, Laura and I were going through a very difficult time in the life of our family, and I'll never forget, it was a Sunday afternoon, and and Glenn and Cindy, they didn't call, 
They didn't ask if it was okay if they came over. They just showed up. They were present with us during this very difficult time in our lives. And, and it wasn't as if you know, they didn't have like all this earth-shattering advice for us. They didn't. I mean, we were facing things that, that nobody had answers for, but what they did was they were present. That's what mattered was their presence. And it was their presence that communicated to us far more than any words could ever say. Their presence communicated to us, we love you and we are for you. And regardless of what you have to go through in your life, we want you to know that we are gonna be with you and you don't have to go through it alone. We are with you. You see, that's what Jonathans do. They show up. Principle number three. Jonathans remind you of God's promises. This one is so important. Because, because we're talking about the kind of friendship today that you can never have apart from the gospel. You see, what Jonathan did is he came, and he came for a purpose. He came to strengthen David. How did he do that? He simply reminded David of God's promises. He said, David, regardless of what's going on right now, you are gonna be king one day. We all know this. This is what God has promised. And so David, I know that life is hard right now. I mean, I know you're hiding out in this cave and you may feel forgotten, but what I wanna remind you of is that God has not forgotten you. He still sees you and he still has a plan for your life. And what God promises he will always deliver. This is the encouragement that Jonathan provided for David. He reminded David of God's promises. I wonder how many watching this morning, you need a friend in your life like that right now. Someone, someone who would just remind you that God is with you and that God is for you. That, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. That, that the Lord is good and that he is a refuge in the time of trouble and that he cares about those who trust in him. That, that God sees your weaknesses and, and he gives strength to the weary and, and increases the power of the weak. And so when you pass through the waters, he has promised to be with you and when you pass through the rivers, they won't overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. Because God himself has made this promise to you that he will go before you and be with you. And he's promised to never leave you or forsake you. And so no matter what happens, you don't have to be afraid. And you don't have to be discouraged, for God is with you. Come on, we all need friends like that in our lives, right? We need Jonathans in our lives. So when the hard moments come, and trust me, they will, we need people who will not only speak hollow words of, you know, oh, everything's gonna be all right, everything works out in the end, but instead we need people who will speak the word of God over us. And so I wonder, do you have that kind of person in your life? Better yet, are you that kind of voice for somebody else? If you don't have that kind of 
person on your list of five, I guarantee you that the battle of fear and doubts that come with forgetting God's promises will overwhelm your life. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Okay, principle four. Jonathan's care enough to call you out. This is a tough one, but it's an important one. We, we all need people in our lives who care enough about us to call us out. So, so the story goes on. Jonathan, he winds up being killed in battle and things shift dramatically for David. I mean, in one sense, he's successful. He becomes king. He's living in the palace. But internally, David begins to drift away from God. And we're gonna talk more about this next week, but he winds up drifting to the point where he ends up having an affair with a married woman and then he even goes to the extent of having her husband killed. Serious moral drift until God sends David another friend. The guy by the name of Nathan walks into David's life, and because Nathan is like Jonathan, he's a Jonathan, he loves David, he winds up calling David out for what he's done. And as a result of Nathan's willingness to call David out, David turns and repents and asks for God's forgiveness. Listen, sin is so incredibly deceptive. And you are a fool if you think that you can go it alone. The Bible tells us that one of the things that we need as we follow Jesus is we need friends who are willing to call us away from the false, deceptive promises of sin. In fact, in Hebrews chapter three, it says this. Paul, or the writer of Hebrews writes, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. Listen to this. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. And so let me ask you this. Do you have anyone in your life who loves you enough to challenge you? And whatever it is that causes you to drift away from God, do you have somebody in your life? I was thinking about this in my own life. And, and I remember, and I, I think I've told this story before, but I, I always will be indebted to Bud Pabin. <laughs> Bud was uh, a good friend of mine when I was living back in Kearney and when I was young and, and uh, we played basketball together all of the time and it was during a season of my life where my heart had hardened towards God and I had fell into deep sin and I was really running away from God and one night we were playing basketball and I went up for a, a layup and I, I wound up coming down and turning my ankle. I thought I broke my ankle and so Bud asked me to, or to drive me to the emergency room. And uh, after the visit, I didn't break my ankle, but uh, on, on the way home, I remember Bud, he was real nervous, but he just said to me, he said, Doug, I don't know all the things that you're doing. I really don't. But all I know is that you're not living the way God designed you to live. And there's a better life for you. And Bud just said, I love you, and I want what's best for you, and if you ever need anything, I want you to know that I am here. And I'm sure that was an uncomfortable conversation with him. It was an uncomfortable conversation with me. But that was a turning point in my life because I knew that somebody loved me enough 
to call me out. And they saw me heading in a direction that was not gonna lead me to a good place, and so they loved me enough to challenge me. Listen, we need people like that in our lives. And I wanna encourage you, if you don't have anybody like that, here's what you need to do. You need to deputize some people to go hunting for blind spots in your life. You need to give people permission to say, hey, if you see anything in me that doesn't measure up to what God wants me to be, you have permission to call me out because I know that you're for me and you love me. We need people like that in our lives. You know, and it's not easy. It's not easy to say it and it's not easy to listen to it. I mean, when they say, listen, you gotta stop dating that dude. I mean, if you continue in this relationship, he has no regard for God. And and if you continue in this relationship with him, he is gonna drag you and your future family down. Are you willing to listen to that? When they say, dude, you need to stop working so much. You're neglecting your family. You need to spend more time with your wife and your children. If you don't do that, your marriage is gonna grow cold. Man, Man, you need to get your butt back in church. You, you, you've been going to the lake every week, you play golf or fish every weekend, and you need to be in a place where you can focus on and you can build into your relationship with Christ. Are you willing to listen to that? Listen, we all need friends like that in our lives. Uh, friends don't always just tell us the things we wanna hear. We need friends that will push us closer to Jesus rather than pull us further away from him. All right, last one, principle number five. Jonathans are willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of the friendship. Jonathans are willing to sacrifice it all. I mean, the friendship is so important that they're willing to sacrifice. Remember what Jonathan does. He, he actually takes the most important thing to him, his position, his standing as heir to the throne, and he puts his very life on the line so that David can be strengthened in the Lord and live into his destiny. By the way, you know who who Jonathan is a foreshadow of? Jesus, right? Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 13, that greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down their life for their friends, which is exactly what Jesus did, right? Just like Jonathan, Jesus was willing to give up his position beside the Father. He was the Prince of Heaven. In Philippians chapter two, it says that though he was in form God, Jesus emptied himself of everything that was God. Why? Because he loved you and me so much. I want you to think about that. That that just like Jonathan took off his robe, he took off his sword, and he laid it at the feet of David, just like that, Jesus set the riches of heaven aside to come for you and for me. Jonathan went all the way to David when he was weak and, and scared and hiding in a cave, and Jesus comes all the way to you in your brokenness. He doesn't wait on you to fix yourself or or, or to come to him. Instead, he meets you in your darkest, most vulnerable moment. And like Jonathan, Jesus comes to strengthen you. And here's where it gets really good. 
Jonathan could only remind David of God's promises. Jesus comes to us and he says, I am God's promise for you. He, 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 you know, Jonathan, he, he didn't have the power to defeat all of David's enemies that will lie before them. But Jesus comes and he says, I have the power to do what you cannot do for yourself. Jesus says that you know, in the midst of all of your fear, in the midst of all of your insecurities, in the midst of all of your sin that's been keeping you from peace and relationship with God, because I am your promise, I am your defender, and I will fight for you. This is the point, however, where the stories kind of diverge a little bit. Because in this story, you and I, we're not David. I mean, David was unjustly hunted, but, but you and I, we deserve punishment because we've run from God and chosen uh, you know, other ways over God's ways. And yet Jesus says, even though you betrayed me, and even though you betrayed my father, I want you to know I am still for you. I still want to be your friend. And so what I'm going to do in order to be your friend is I want to take the punishment that you deserve and I want to take that upon myself and I'm willing to die a rebel's death on the cross. He died a rebel's death so that you and I could be reconciled to the Father. Why? Because true friends are willing to sacrifice it all and there's no greater love than when somebody is willing to lay their life down for their friends which is exactly what Jesus did. Folks, I, I want you to understand this is where the real power of friendship comes from. You, you see, all of the power for our horizontal relationships, all of that power, it only comes from one place, and that's from our vertical relationship with God. I mean, when you experience the deep love and joy that comes from friendship with Jesus, it, it ought to flow out of you and it ought to begin to transform all of the other relationships that you have in your life. You, you see, when you really experience the love of Jesus, that ought to compel you to love other people. Not because you're supposed to, but because you're overflowing with the love of Christ in your own life. When you, when you experience a relationship with Jesus, you'll be loyal because you understand the loyalty that Jesus has demonstrated to you. When, you. when you have a relationship with Jesus, you'll show up. Why? Because you've experienced how Jesus has shown up for you time after time after time in your own life. When you have a relationship with Jesus, you'll remind other people of God's promises. Why? Because those promises are, are just overflowing out of the wellspring of hope in your own life. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, you'll, you'll be willing to pull other people away from sin because you'll have understood in your own life how Christ has interceded from you, for you and given you freedom from the sin in your own life. And, 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 and when you have a relationship with Jesus, You'll be willing to give up your life because you can't stop worshiping the one who gave his for you.
That is what true friendship looks like. That is the way that God designed it. And so the question is, what do we do with all this? I mean, what do, what do we do with all this? How do we, how do we have friends like that? How, do we, how are we friends like that? Let me, let me just give you uh, three quick things and then we're gonna be done. We're gonna pray and we'll be done. First one is this, simply believe. Do you believe this gospel? Do you believe that your sins have made you a rebel against God? Do you believe that the prince of heaven left his rightful place in order to come and take the penalty of your sin upon yourself? That he was willing to be your friend to the point that he was willing to give his life for you and die in your place in order to set you free. Do you believe that? I hope that you will today. And I'm gonna pray for you in just a, a moment, but uh, before we do that, number two. So first is believe, number two is simply belong. <laughs> so do you have these kind of friends? Look at your list. Do you have these kinds of friends? Are there any Jonathans on your list? And I wanna tell you this morning that the, the church is the place that God designed for you to develop and have those kinds of friends. So you need to belong to a local church. Not a program, not a building. We've learned over the past several weeks that the church certainly is not those things, but a people, a community of friends. And listen, I want you to understand this. Nothing that I've said today will ever work for people who are wishy-washy about the church. It just won't work. That the church is the place where Jonathans are found and developed. And, and I know that especially right now in this mid-pandemic climate, that connecting has become really, really challenging. You, you have to be very intentional and extremely creative. But let me just suggest one way that you can still connect even now. Over the past couple of weeks, we have launched three new virtual connect groups. One of them meets at 9 a.m., right before our time here, and there's another one that will be meeting immediately after the service, and then the third one meets on Thursday nights at 6.30. Uh, in fact, you should see a link to each of those in the comment section of this broadcast, but the, the primary purpose of all three of these groups is they are designed to help you make and be the kind of friend that we're talking about this morning. So I encourage you, make a commitment to belong to one of these groups. Be intentional about it. Put the effort in to find a Jonathan and then, and then be a Jonathan, okay? So believe, belong, and then the last one, and I've talked about this multiple times, but it's simply be. We, we all, we all, want a Jonathan on our eyes, right? We all want a Jonathan. And when you look at your list, I don't know what you see, but uh, if, you, if you don't have a Jonathan on that list, can I just tell you the best way to find a Jonathan is simply to be a Jonathan? That's the best way to find a friend like Jonathan. Listen, here's what I want you to understand. Your name is on somebody else's list. Hopefully, your name is on somebody else's list. 
And, and, and the reality for you is the reality for them, that they will become the average of the people, the five people that they have on their list. And so listen, this is your job. Raise the average. That's your job. Raise the average. Help them become who God designed them to become. How do you do that? Well, we've talked about it. Be loyal, like Jonathan. Be present. Show up. Let your presence be known. Care enough to call them out. Remind them of God's promises. Be willing to sacrifice. In other words, live in such a way that it's not about what you get, but it's more about what you can give. That's the way we develop and we experience the kind of friendships that God desired for us to have. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you this morning for the gift of relationships. We recognize that the, the, that whole idea was yours from the very beginning. In fact, that's what you designed us for, to live, first of all, in relationship with you, but then secondly, to develop healthy, good, uh, life-giving relationships with other people. And the only way that we can do that is as you flow through us. It all flows through our relationship with you. And so today, there may be some who are watching right now who have been living apart from you. And this morning, you have reminded them that you created them not to be a rebel, but you have created them to live in friendship with you. You know who you're speaking to right now in this moment. And so for each one, as they open their heart to you and invite you to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their lives, I pray that your presence and your peace would just overwhelm them right now in this moment. And for all of us, my prayer is that you would help us to have friends like Jonathan. We need people like that in our, in our lives. I need Jonathan's in my life. So I pray for that. But I also pray that you would help us to be friends like Jonathan. Help us to build into other people and help us to experience the kind of friendships and relationships that you designed us to have that result in us knowing you more us living out the destiny that you have for us. And we pray all that in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for worshiping with us. We want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to transform you from the inside out. If today you made a decision to surrender your life and follow Jesus, we'd love to hear about it and celebrate with you. Please be sure to let us know. Well, until next week, Know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you have a great week.